Hello and thanks for downloading and hopefully even listening to the Dairy Dialogue podcast for November the 23rd, which is Black Friday in the US and something that seems to have spread to other countries with varied amounts of success. Here in the UK, a lot of retailers have tapped into the idea of Black Friday but have missed the point about huge discounts. 5% off a second pair of shoes is not a deal. Anyway, it's been a bit crazy here at Dairy Reporter at the end of this week because it's just sunk in that next week I'm at HIE in Frankfurt, which means next week's Dairy Dialogue will be a bit of a challenge to put together. We'll just leave it at that and see how it goes. It might be an entertaining rant about all the things that have gone wrong, if nothing else. Strange things do tend to happen to me when I'm on these trips. I've had to give first aid in Latvia after a car crashed into a wall in front of me, almost died of fright in Cologne thanks to a colleague's text message, showed up at midnight to a hotel in Estonia only to find it closed, helped a market stall owner pick up hundreds of spilled boxes of oranges in Italy, had a tree branch fall on my head in Spain and of course there are many more. I shall let you know if anything of note happens in Germany. Also this week I've been trying to find out how to block emails from a colleague in Asia who said they were having a cold spell of around 30 or 86 Fahrenheit, all the while deciding what to take to Frankfurt because the forecast says cold, then it changes to rain so I'm not sure what to expect. I do know I'm not looking forward to a 6am flight. But enough of my complaining, we have a show to do and this week it's a short hop over the North Sea for two interviews, one in Belgium on human milk oligosaccharides and one in the Netherlands on yogurt cultures or yogurt cultures depending where you're from. And then we'll pop across the Irish Sea for our weekly update on the dairy markets with INTL FC Stone. First this week, we will go Dutch and talk to DSM Food Specialties, which has launched Delvo Fresh YS140, a culture for stirred yogurts to produce what the company says is a creamy yogurt with a velvety mouthfeel and mild taste that consumers are after in today's market. To tell us more about the product is Rolando Saltini, business manager for fermented milk products at DSM. When you produce a yogurt, you always use basically two types of bacteria. A bacteria called Streptococcus thermophilus and another bacteria called Lactobacillus bulgaricus. In a culture, a culture is a blend of a few strains of mainly of these two types. Now, when you create a yogurt, this, the culture really defines a lot of characteristics of the, of the yogurt, like a creaminess and, and, and the flavor profile and the taste that the final yogurt has. Traditionally, if you want to produce a very creamy yogurt, you would select specific uh, cultures to give a high creaminess. However, because of the metabolism of these cultures, you also create some acidic notes into the culture. And that's because the metabolism that is used to create a creaminess also creates somehow an acidity. Uh, what is special about this new culture, so Delvo Fresh YS140, is that we have selected, well, uh, we have selected the best strains to create the creaminess without creating the acidity that you usually have in high creamy yogurts. Is that improve the taste and the texture as well, or just the taste? It's actually a combination of both. One of the big trends that we see in the yogurt industry is that yogurts start playing a role in the dessert category. 
because they're basically seen as a healthier option, dessert option compared to puddings or traditional desserts. However, in that category, the indulgence, it's actually very important because, of course, you want a good product as a dessert. You don't want a bad product. Uh, so in that category, usually we are trying to position very creamy yogurts with a mild taste, and that's where we are playing in. So being able to create a very creamy product, so an indulgent product, uh, without then having the acidic notes typical of, of a traditional yogurt, let's say. And, and I noticed that a couple of the other selling points were fast fermentation and limited post-acidification. Could you explain those as well? So, yeah, one of the main points is that uh, usually a post what we define a post-acidification is the creation of acidity during the shelf life of a product. In a yogurt, you have a shelf life of four weeks. Usually, if you buy a yogurt today, you leave it in your fridge until the expiration date, and you eat it on the expiration date, that yogurt usually has a higher acidity than uh, when you bought it. That's because even in the fridge, cultures are still alive. Of course, their metabolism is, is much slower, but they're still alive. And usually, traditional yogurt cultures create some acidity during the shelf life of the product. What is, let's say, revolutionary, what is new with this product is that that post-acidification is not present anymore. So that the uh, flavor profile that you have when you buy the product is the same that you have on the expiration date of the yogurt, basically because we don't have post-acidification in that process. Okay, and, and how difficult is it to maintain the different characteristics that you're looking for when you're talking about such a different range of yogurts? I mean, you talk, there's different fruits, there's plain... Yeah, of course, every recipe is different, every factor is different, every customer is different. When we develop a product, of course, we look at the mainstream, what are the largest trends, and then we, of course, need to work also with our application experts. When a customer is in implementing that ingredient, that culture into their factory, we optimize that use with our uh, application experts. So basically, we open a project with a customer, we work in their factory together with the customer and our yogurt experts to really fine-tune on the dosage rate and the different conditions to make most out of it. So they're basically where the technical knowledge of the application really plays a big role. And, and it's cost-effective for companies to use this as opposed to other cultures? Yes, usually uh, in the industry, when you develop a new ingredient that has some premium characteristics, suppliers tend to sell it at a premium price. Because if you're creating a kind of a uniqueness, uh, usually they like to charge for that. In this case, since we see this as such a big request from consumers, we have decided basically, even though we're creating a premium feature or this culture has a premium performance in the application, we have decided not to charge a premium price to customers. So basically we're positioning it in line with the other yogurt cultures that we have in our portfolio. Has it already been used in, in products, and what's the reaction been? Uh, happily, I have to say that we since the launch, we already have, even though it was just a couple of weeks ago, sometimes we do some pre-launch, and we have some customers that were already interested and already testing it, and also we had a couple of customers who actually liked it very much, and we are receiving the first orders actually uh, this month. Didn't take long. Yeah, that well. Sometimes we also do some pre-launch activities where we present that you know the beta testing. And during the beta testing, some customers liked it so much that they basically decided to start purchasing it. Uh, how how does it fit in with the rest of the portfolio of products that you have? When we design our portfolio, 
I mean, in the yogurt market, you have a lot. I mean, if you go in any supermarket, you will find a lot of different yogurt types. Each yogurt type is unique and therefore requires ingredients that are designed for that uniqueness. For example, for a drinkable yogurt with strawberry flavor, you need a certain type of viscosity. You need a certain type of acidic notes to, to boost the flavor profile. So we design our portfolio so that every yogurt can find the right culture specifically selected for the characteristic that you're looking for in that yogurt. Is this something that you'll be showcasing at any events in the near future? It's a major launch in the yogurt industry. So basically, our sales team will showcase it at, at events, at customer events, at fairs, and so on. So you will see it in uh, uh, around for sure. How often do you come up with new products for yogurts? Uh, well, we see that the yogurt industry, it's a quite a dynamic industry from a consumer perspective, but usually takes a relatively long time for a, a yogurt producer to test, validate any uh, uh, ingredient. And that's mainly because of the shelf life of the product. You test the product today, you have the results in a couple of months because usually you want to wait until the end of the shelf life to see the impact, stability, and so on. Therefore, usually we're always talking about projects of a length of four to six months from, let's say, the first presentation to the real implementation of the ingredient. Therefore, usually we may have four launches a year between three and five launches a year. Having okay. more would basically cannibalize uh, the previous one. And, and I assume that as well as developing the products, you must keep your eye on trends within the yogurt industry. That, of course, is a very big part and a very important part for us. So we base all our innovation pipeline on the trends. So we first look what does the market need, what are the consumers uh, looking for, what are the new type of consumers. For example, we see now that millennials start having kids. So now the ones deciding how to feed a full family is actually starting becoming the, the millennial generation and how does that impact then the product that they're looking for. So we start by looking at the market trend, where is the market going, and based on that, we define our innovation pipeline with the products that we're developing basically to serve the industry. Next, it's to the beautiful Belgian city of Ghent, where biotech company InBios has entered into a 4 million euro debt agreement with BNP Paribas Fortis, one of the largest banks in Belgium. The arrangement gives the company access to financing to continue the development of its portfolio of human milk oligosaccharides as it looks for regulatory approval and market launch. Last month, InBios announced it is fast-tracking seven HMOs from its portfolio for use in infant formula and health markets. And to tell us more about the company and HMOs in general is the company's chief commercial officer, Wesley Carpentier. And I apologize in advance for the occasional beeping during the interview. We couldn't figure out what was causing it. Maybe it was a reversing milk truck. Oh, how close are you to launch of the, the seven HMOs that were mentioned in the previous press release? Uh, well, how close? Uh, yeah, we're, we're making very good progress. I think one of the, the main things that we focus on in, in our approach is to not just to be able to make them, but to be able to make them in a way that is uh, cost competitive and that scientifically that technically works for large-scale manufacturing because that's, that's what the infant nutrition industry needs and to some extent also the, the dietary supplement industry. So, uh, yeah, we're technically uh, where we want to be. 
and uh, we just need to uh, accelerate uh, in bringing to them to the market. That's why uh, we also use the word uh, fast tracking a lot. And uh, so that, that's it's all about uh, prioritizing them and bringing them to the market as, uh, as quickly as possible now. Could you tell me a little bit about the HMO products that you're developing? So uh, human milk oligosaccharides is a very important uh, component of human breast milk. And in fact, it's the, the, the third largest component that is in, in the human breast milk. It's the main part, basically, of the, of the carbohydrates which is in there. So it's, there's a lot of lactose in there, for sure, but there's quite a lot of the human milk oligosaccharides. And one of the main challenges the, in, the infant formula industry has had in the past is that there was, simply was no way to, to add these products also to infant formula. And of course, uh, breastfeeding and human milk is, is the gold standard. It should be the number one choice whenever available. Unfortunately, it's not always available or sufficiently available. So infant formula has, has, a, has an important role to play. And of course, you want to make that infant formula as close to the real thing, as close to human milk as, as possible. And obviously, if the third largest component, the human milk oligosaccharide, is missing, obviously you, you have a problem. In the, in the history now, we've, we've tried to fill that gap to some extent with uh, products like the, the fructooligosaccharides, which are n not something that you typically find in mother's own milk, and uh, the galacto-oligosaccharides, which are an elongation product of lactose, resembles conceptually uh, HMOs, but it's not really the real thing. So what InBios has been focusing on is to be able to manufacture these uh, the real HMOs, the identical molecules, in, in large enough amounts using industrial fermentation processes so that they can be added at relevant dosages to, to, to all the infant formula. And uh, we've also been learning that these uh, human milk oligosaccharides, they are not uh, not there really for nutritional purposes. That's more what the, the lactose does. It provides the calories and so forth. But they are providing a lot of more benefits. Um, I think if you look into the literature today, uh, you probably have around uh, 1,700 articles, scientific articles out there that have investigated all matter of benefits of these molecules and they can be um, preventing infection by viruses or bacteria uh, because they, they, in a way, they block the, the pathogens from actually attaching to the gut, for example, to the gut lining. Uh, they have other benefits such as uh, supporting the development of the, of the immune system of the baby, another, another very important uh, aspect. They are very good prebiotics, but they tend to really stimulate the, the bifidobacteria, which are very important also for early development of infants and developing a healthy gut uh, microbiome. So lots of benefits. And uh, it's not just one product, these HMOs. And science has been able to analyze and identify even up to 200 individual components in this HMO mixture. The most important is the 2FL, 2-fucosyl lactose, and this one is commercially available on the market today with regulatory approvals in the US and in Europe and beyond. We are uh, doing our very best to make sure that uh, we can bring this quickly up to seven HMOs that will be available and be approved for use in infant formula and beyond.
are there any HMOs currently used in infant formula? Uh, the two fucosyl lactose, the, the most abundant one, is already used in uh, an increasing number of infant formulas in the U.S. and also in Europe. To mention a few companies, uh, both uh, Nestle and Abbott have been fast movers in, in uh, adding these uh, products to their infant formula. But now we see uh, other customers also uh, starting up. And so what, what's unique about yours, simply the fact that there are more of them? It's uh, the first step in the industry was to, to add the most important one, the most abundant one, the, the, the two fucosyl lactose. But uh, we know that the other molecules that we're offering, they have, they have distinct benefits. There's a lot of good indications of, around their, their benefits. Some of them still have to be proven in clinical trials. Uh, which you can only do when they become available at large scale, and we're expecting this to to happen in the in the next year or two. By extending that from one to seven, we think we can really make a big step in closing the gap and making formula more like uh, the real thing, more like uh, human milk. And and what's the basis for these products? Are they synthetically produced or are they naturally produced? Well, it's, it's a natural fermentation process. Uh, we, we do not use chemical processes. There has been a history, let's say about 20 years ago, people already knew that these were very important molecules and they tried to make them chemically. There have been some attempts made even to commercialize them, but they were simply, they were simply not cost effective and also didn't uh, deliver the quality that was required. You could do it also using enzymes, but it gets very, very complicated. We do it using fermentation processes. Uh, bacterial fermentation. So basically we feed simple sugars in a, in a bacterial fermentation process and it gets converted into the, the human identical uh, HMOs. And as far as obviously it's important not only to develop these but to do so in a cost-effective way so that companies can afford to buy them. Is that a consideration? That is a key consideration. And I think uh, one thing that you've also seen mentioned is the word glycoactives which is the name that we use for our technology platform. And basically from the onset, um, the company InBios has focused on developing a technology platform to make many complex sugars, especially many, many of these human milk oligosaccharides. And so on the one hand, it's about being able to make the many uh, HMOs in an identical, human identical way. But even more importantly, it's been on making sure that we can produce them very efficiently and very effectively at large scale so that you can indeed add them to uh, mainstream infant formula and not just to uh, a premium formula here and a premium formula there. With infant formula, one of the biggest factors is safety. Is that something that you would have to do testing? Yeah, there is a, the regulatory approval process uh, is uh, the biggest part of that is, is all around safety and toxicology. We have to work to meet all the requirements that uh, in the U.S. and FDA or in Europe and EFSA uh, requires from us. So that means that uh, we do uh, establish that the molecules are, are, are safe and well tolerated, first in, in preclinical trials and ultimately also in, in clinical trials. And now to wrap up the show, we head over to Liam Fenton at INTL FC Stone, who can give us a summary of the dairy markets this week. Butter was slightly lower this week, where quarter one is trading around 42.50 level. It traded about 50 euros higher during the week, 
but uh, Tuesday's GDT results had butter lower by about 10%, and subsequently uh, this weighed on European butter prices. Cream has been relatively stable to a little stronger trading at the 5400 to 5500 level. Skimmel powder then has been a little stronger on the week with quarter one trading at the 1700 plus level. Volumes have been relatively quiet on the future side as the market contemplates its next move. But the results of the EU tender sale came out during the week where about 26,000 tonnes were sold at a price of just over €1,300, which was up on the last tender price. Skimmel powder concentrate continues to be well supported also. Thanks, Liam. INTL FC Stone provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tools and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. That's all we have time for this week, so please join us again next week on the Dairy Reporter Dairy Dialogue podcast.